Pastors Larry and Tiz Huck welcome you to this weekly Torah study from New Beginnings Church in Bedford, Texas, taught by Pastor Scott Sigmund. We pray this message will help you better understand how God's Old Testament wisdom and New Testament revelation are meant to jointly fit together. Well, today's Torah uh, has a lot of power in it. We are closing out the fourth book of the Torah, the book in Numbers. This is the last teaching for this portion of the Bible in the book of Numbers. And next week, Pastor Scott will lead you through the journey of Deuteronomy. Amen? So, uh, this Torah portion is number 42. It's titled as Metah. And Metah uh, is about the power of words and the commitment and the power of making a vow, an oath, a pledge, and a promise. Amen? And this teaching is a very significant teaching. It's very impactful for all of us today. But at the time that this teaching or this law was implemented by God, it had a significant impact on the Israelites because they were on the brink of entering into the promised land. So, if you would read or follow with me, I'm reading out of the NIV this morning. Verse number one. Moses said to the heads of the tribes of Israel, This is what the Lord commands. When a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to obligate himself by a pledge, he must not break his word, but must do everything he says. Now let me give you a little definition of a vow and an oath and the difference between a vow and an oath from a pledge and a promise. See, a vow and an oath is a promise to God. To accept and fulfill that word faithfully. A pledge and a promise is a promise for one's honor. Think about that. Vow, oath, internal. Pledge, promise, external. You follow what I'm saying? So, as as one who makes a pledge and a promise, we are taking an action personally to fulfill that. Okay? So, here's why this portion of Scripture and law was significant. Number one, God was given this command to teach the Israelite people a valuable lesson for success and to develop a leadership skill moving into the Promised Land. Israel was going to be challenged to build a new society. When they got in and subdued the land. And uh, their challenge was going to be like any other. Because the society that they were going to develop was never done before. You only had a couple types of societies. Societies that ran with fear and intimidation. And other societies also not only created fear and intimidation of the people. But they also manipulated them and bribed them. That was not God's plan for his people. It is not his plan for us today. Amen. God's law was going to secure the kingdom, not by force, but by people honoring one another. By people making a commitment and keeping the commitment before God and before man. They were going to be people of righteousness. Amen. 
Now, as I mentioned, this law still stands today. God wants our conversation and our promises to have the quality of integrity. What God means by this is that when God looks at us and he hears our words, he looks at our words as a sacred vessel. Sacred vessel. That sacred vessel carries words of a truth, honesty, reliability, integrity, and godliness. Those should be the very things that come from our mouth. Especially when we make a commitment before God. Or even say, hey, your boss comes and say, hey, I need you to get this done today. Okay, sir, I promise I'll get that done. We must get it done. Because if we don't, there are, there are consequences to that. So, the thing that I want us to understand today is that the title, if you like titles and you take notes, the title of this message today is The Power of Our Word. My objective, or really my goal here today, is that we understand the value of speech and verbal commitment and our purpose and the challenge when I close will be when we speak, it needs to hold truth. It also needs to be words that not only influences us, but impacts and influences others. Because when God sent the people in Israel into the promised land, this was a whole new thing. And we are under that covering. Amen? So, we need to understand the power of our words. Pastor Scott was kind enough to give me his notes pertaining to this particular teaching, and I'm very thankful. Um, I spent quite a bit of time uh, not only studying his teachings, but also going out and gleaning from other rabbis and stuff, because it's important to me that when I made the commitment to Pastor Scott to come and to share with you, I was prepared. And I pray that the words that are spoken the teaching and the knowledge and revelation you receive today will help you not only today, but tomorrow and moving forward. Amen? So there are seven significant keys that we're going to look at that I gleaned from Pastor Scott's notes. The seven are is that God created man to communicate. The second is to understand our words have tremendous weight. The third is to understand the significance of our yes being yes and our no being no. Okay? The fourth is the covenant commitment we make. Uh, the fifth is false testimony. Six is spiritual warfare. Our words are very significant when it comes to the battle against the enemy. And the actually the seventh thing, I kind of got crossed up with my numbers, but the seventh key is speech is a tool. Amen? All right. So, let's start with number one. Key number one, God created man. God created man in his image. When God breathed his breath of life into us, he gave us the ability to speak. Because we are, we are made in the image of God. We have uh, uh, the ability and the privilege to be over all of God's earth. We are over the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, the cattle in the land. We are over uh, all the earth. 
God created man to have full authority and to create an abundant life. That life is created not only what we think, but what we say and we act upon. Now, let's share this with you. I just, a, a few weeks ago, maybe a, a little over a month ago, I taught a class similar to this, but not from the Torah, over at Fit for Life. And my teaching was about the power of words. Now, we have to understand where are words actually created from. They come from what we think. What we think is what we see. The six senses, you know, they, 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 they create these thoughts, and then our thoughts speak out. And then when we speak out, it creates an action. Then an action creates a habit. Then a habit creates a character, and the character creates a destiny. Now, the words you speak today or this week, are they faith-filled words? Is that your destiny? Or are these words spoken that operate in doubt and unbelief? What are the words that you speak? You see, God created us to live an abundant life. It's so important. And I know, as, as humans, it's very challenging to speak faith-filled, heart-filled words all the time. It is impossible. It really is. But if we stop and we think before we speak, we will find that we are creating an environment that is abundant. The way God designed our lives to be. There's no doubt we'll have issues. But those issues help us to develop our speech. When all hell comes against us, what are we going to do? We're going to declare that God is for us and not against us. And that the enemy has no right to put me through this situation. Even though it may be God developing that situation to strengthen us. Because James in chapter 1 talks about that very thing. But God gave us the gift of speech. Now, Pastor James in the book of James gives us a warning. There's a flashing light. But before the warning, he says, look. And this is in James chapter 3, verse 3. He says, look, you can take a horse and put a bridle in its mouth, and you can get it to do whatever you want to do for the most part. Take this magnificent cruise ship. It is controlled by a rudder with the guidance of the pilot's hand. Even though the waves are crashing in and the wind is blowing, this thing is not just drifting a myth, okay? But the warning is, this little thing, this muscle right here that helps us to create words is really set on fire. It can make you or break you. And that fire is fire that is from straight from hell. It is a warning. So if we realize how powerful our tongue really is, we can pray. Here's one of the things I always pray for, and I shared grace. Abundance of grace. Because when I am faced with a challenge and I want that fire to be spewed out, 
to where I may say something to hurt someone or I may say something that really makes me look this big in essence. I think and I apply my grace to that situation because that grace will help you overcome that fire. Amen. Proverbs 18.21 describes it clearly. uh, Death and life, I'm used to saying life and death, but death and life are in the tongue. And those who love it eat its fruit. You see, with speech, we can create blessing or cursing. Today, what are you going to do? Amen. Key number two. Words have great weight. Words have great weight. You see, God's concern for Israel, and with you and I even today, that we understand how much weight and influence our words carry when we make a promise or we make a vow. You see, in the Lord's eye, when we make a promise or even break a promise, it's a very big deal. Think about that. When we make the promise, it's a big deal. And when we break it, It's a really big deal. Heaven considers our promises as a verbal and binding agreement. Even the smallest, yes, boss, I'll get that done. I promise. That is a verbal agreement. Our promises have far-reaching emotional and spiritual impact, even from the smallest. What we say, the promise or the promises we break, have a long-lasting impact for good or bad. Our promises kept or broken will have an impact on our home life, our church and spiritual life, our business and our jobs, and beyond. Think about this as I was studying that, and this may not be a great illustration, but look at the impact that the that people who broke their promises are currently sitting in rehab facilities right now. I couldn't help but to think about that. How many times did that child say, I'm going to get off these drugs, I'm going to get off these drugs, I'm going to get off these drugs. And he gets close, but he falls right back, and he breaks that promise. And it's like a vicious cycle in a lot of ways. Well, breaking promises that we make or making a vow, it's a vicious cycle also. A quote I wrote down is, the most important person to keep your promises to, you think God, but to you. Here's why. Because of the moral decay that it creates in your life. It becomes unhealthy. You become very unhealthy. And if you become unhealthy, how can God actually use you in moments when you have these moedims, these appointed times, to speak into somebody's life. If, if, you're, if you're not keeping promises, what is your integrity like? And, and if you're not keeping promises and you're not living your life according to what you speak, you say, you profess, people aren't going to receive the, that spiritual quote or that little scripture we spoke out. Uh-uh. Listen, the most important person to keep your promise to is you. Don't forget that. Don't let the self rot inside. Amen? Amen. Key number three. 
And this really, really touched me. As a matter of fact, Laura came up last night while I was studying. And for a moment, for a moment, the way the Lord works with me, he gives me these revelations and he gives me uh, the things to share. But sometimes when I, I go to, uh, uh, like, let your yes be yes and your no be no. That's key number three. I got stuck because I really didn't want to brush by that. Because Jesus, in the Beatitudes, brings this up during his teachings, along with the many other things that he was teaching the people that day. Turn with me to Matthew 5.33, and let's read this. And I'll try to explain this the best I can. And I'm going to bring this back over to Fit for Life, because there's a really, really deep, deep understanding and teaching in this. Now, I'm reading out of the NIV, but my word says, and this is Jesus speaking. This is in red letters. It says, again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago. Stop and think. Again, he says, you have heard that this was said to the people long ago. Now, he has this crowd, and he's reminding them of Numbers 30, verse 1 and 2. Because remember, when the Israelites went into the promised land, This was built, their society was built on covenant, keeping promises. Then he goes on to say, do not break your oath, but keep the oath you have made to the Lord. Verse 34, but I'll tell you, do not answer at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is a city of a great king. He goes on and says, and do not swear by your head, for you cannot even make one hair white or black. Jesus goes on to say, simply, let your yes be yes and your no be no. What little bit of studying that I got, because I got stuck on this, was what Jesus was trying to tell everybody here was, don't forget what our ancestors established. For our society. He goes on to say, and also, when you, you, you go to make a pledge, you want to pledge on heaven or earth or the city of Jerusalem. He's saying, why, why do that? Because what you're really telling me is that you're not really committed. You're not, you're not truly committed to keep this promise that you're telling me. You see, people would, and it's human nature, the path of least resistance. We say certain things or make certain promises just to rid ourselves of this conversation. And so to quickly get it done, say, oh, man, I promise, I promise on heaven. I'll get it done. But knowing in the back of their mind that they weren't really interested in keeping the commitment, Jesus is saying, why are you cursing earth for it is the throne of God? Or why are you cursing earth for it is a footstool? Or why are you cursing this great city? Jerusalem, a city of a great king. As Jesus said, just simply let your yes be yes and your no be no. Amen? Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Anything beyond that is of the enemy, the father of lies. Jesus addressed the people about speaking the truth. He tells the crowd not to break their oath. 
The guideline being addressed prohibits us from making a vain and empty promise, especially done in the Lord's name. Breaking an oath made in the Lord's name goes against the third commandment. Do not use the Lord's name in vain. When you commit by God and you don't do it, you're using his name in vain because your intentions were not right. And that does not glorify God. Amen? So again, as I said, Jesus simply put it this way. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. If you have to carry on and add to what you're promising to do, it's nonsense. You know, in my business, our word is everything in my business. I'm in the car business. I deal every day with all people type, all religious background, all different languages. I have a really cool job. But let me tell you, if my yes really meant no, and my no meant yes, I would be a wishy-washy, washed-up car guy that is not able to do any business anywhere I'd go. Because no one could trust me. I showed no value of integrity. I showed no value in being trustworthy. So the bottom line is, we are a unique people, us Christians. We are unique. And we carry the Spirit of God right here. His light shines so bright through us when we allow it to. And when we make a commitment and keep it, that is a one bright light. Because we are testifying and our witness to those that we make our promises to speak volume. Let me say this too. Sometimes our promises kept could be the only Bible anybody ever read. The only Bible. Because like I said, most people, if not all people that I interact with, know that I am a, a faith-believing man. They know that. They, because of, of just the upbeat attitude. And listen, I'm not trying to glorify myself. I'm just using myself as an example. Just trying to be upbeat, even when things are tough. When things are tough, I still, I just know, I know that God is for me and not against me. Amen. So even if I have to make a commitment that's going to be a challenge for me to keep because of the situation I've been in and it's kind of tough... I'm going to keep it because people look at me as a faith-filled man. And I do declare the works of God in circles of influence. I've had young people come to me who are struggling with life. And I just share a few verses with them and encourage them. And then within an hour or two, I'll get a text. Gosh, that was a great word, and it was perfectly on time. Thank you. Those are rewards in heaven, you know. So anyway, um, Pastor Scott writes this. I, I, I use this quote. I have to put Pastor Scott into this. This is his class. I said, the overall implication by not keeping our promises is that one should not vow or make an oath or pledge unless you mean it and you intend to fulfill it. Amen? Amen. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. There is no greater fraud than the promise not kept. Let that sink in. There is no greater fraud than a promise not kept. Key number four. 
Covenant commitment. We as believers really are all in covenant with each other. We should be, and we should understand that. So, with this covenant commitment, and with the study of vows, oath, promises, and pledges, I, I, I looked at Scott's notes, and it is a type and shadow of a wedding ceremony. Think about that. Okay? When Laura and I got together, I gave her my heart, I gave her my word. I told her that I would stick with her, richer or poor, sick and death, till death do us part. Okay? So, when, we, when I gave her my word, I stand by that. If I gave you my word, I too am going to stand by it. Because, as I said, the, the, the wedding ceremony is a type and shadow of our lives when we commit and promise to do something. Okay? When we give someone our word, we're actually binding ourselves to them. When we give our word to someone... It always involves the Lord. And if we fail to keep our word, it is like stealing from that person. We steal from that person. It also hurts not only our reputation, but it also hurts the reputation of God. I have seen many times where... um, People are uh, in my business are just wheeling and dealing, and they're blowing and going, and uh, and they begin to flame out, flake out, and they leave a lot of people holding the bag. And when I'm talking about holding the bag, I'm talking about a financial situation. Amen. So, the teaching on covenant commitment, it is a strong admonishment to make sure our speech. Uh, and our testimony is always true and honest. Amen? Okay. Key number five. False testimony. This Torah teaching teaches on swearing falsely or committing perjury. Exodus 20.16 reads, You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. When I thought about false testimony... I wrote down, it is character assassination. Character assassination. I've seen many people, as I'm standing and visiting with an individual, another will come up and join in the conversation. That individual that join asks the question to the guy I'm talking to about somebody else's character or his business practices or just things in general. And the person I'm talking to absolutely downs that individual just completely downs him and you know and i just listen i just listen because really i don't know that person he's talking about but i know that when the fellow that came up and joined the conversation leaves he thinks of that guy about that much that he was inquiring about now I don't know how true the comments were from that guy, but I believe that there was a lot of embellishment going on. A lot. So it's so important that for me, when, when asked about people, I, I tell them the truth, but I'm very gentle with my words. 
very gentle. We should be gentle, you know, and um, let the person that's asking just know that, hey, you know, I've had some problems with this guy. Don't go into detail. I have some problems with this guy. Uh, but it worked itself out, of course, because of grace. Amen. Amen. The grace. But it, it's not right for us to just completely wipe people out. It's not right. And in our business, as you well know, Doug, it's easy. It's easy. It's easy to wipe people out. Because you want to take advantage and show dominance and strength. And, but anyway, so false testimony, swearing falsely, false testimony. Be careful with that. Another point uh, I need to address is Christians committing perjury. Christians lie to avoid issues, to create a false impression. And they are not Christ-like at all. They are under the influence of the devil. Think about that. Christians who conveniently lie to create a false impression. That's not Christ-like. They are led by the father of lies. John chapter 8, 44. The word says, you belong to your father and the devil and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer. There's that assassin. A murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. Amen? So if your behavior is is that you're hiding behind something, it'd be like somebody coming in here and pitching Pastor Larry that they're a great preacher and teacher and all that and or what have you or convincing John Wilson into doing something, you know, I mean, and they're lying. Um, that's going to catch up to you. That's, that's going to catch up to you. And Proverbs 19.5 closes this key out quite well. And this is the word I'm speaking. A false witness will not go unpunished. And he who breathes lies will not escape. So much easier to tell the truth, be the truth, act the truth, live the truth. Amen. Truth. For the truth will set you free. Because if you tell the truth, it gives you an opportunity to heal from the very thing that may be hindering that you want to lie from. So be strong in truth. Amen? Amen. Here's one of my favorites. The next one, and keep in mind, the power of word. With spiritual warfare. This is key number six. God gives us the power to overcome with words of praise, prayer, testimony. What does Revelations 12, 11 say? We overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. But Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. If we allow Satan to come in and control our thoughts, our words, our actions, our circumstances... Our destiny, what good is that for God? What good are we going to be? So many may ask, this group here is a very mature group of people. We've all been serving God for a very long time. But there are people out there, and I'm sharing this because it's just another perspective 
in ministering to those who are in a battle, who need help, okay? Is when we ask God in faith, we must not doubt. When we're in a battle, when we're fighting, or if they're fighting, we must speak the word and tell them, you cannot doubt because God will help you. Lots of people struggle with that. They don't believe that God can help. As a matter of fact, it kind of reminds me of when uh, 40 years earlier, before Numbers 30, a group of Israelites were contaminated by 10 spies. Contaminated by the 10 spies. They doubted and was disobedient. And what happened to them? They all died in the desert. They did not see the promised land of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They didn't get that opportunity. Amen? So don't doubt that God can't do something because he can do all things because we all our needs are met according to what glory and riches but james get old pastor james in the book i love the book of james new testament proverb book in my opinion james chapter 1 verse 6 and 7 says when a man asks, he must believe and not doubt because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. What that scripture is saying is he who doubts is a man who wavers and is double-minded. This man has no power. This man has no ability to be more than a conqueror. And that type of mindset is not from God. When the power of God and His Word operates in our life and we declare His works in our lives... We are more than conquerors. Now, when I'm in a, bi- uh, in a battle, I wanted to share some of the scriptures that I have committed when I'm going through something. And uh, I use these as part of my weaponry. And that is 2 James, I'm sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God did not give me a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Psalms 23. For the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Amen. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me by still waters. He refreshes my soul. He leads me in, in, in path of righteousness. I'm overcoming. Galatians 3.26. For I am a child of the God Most High. I, rem, I remind that enemy that I am a child of the God Most High. I know who I belong to. I know who is looking after me. I know. And then Jeremiah 29.11. For I, this is God, for I know the plans that I have for you. Amen. Amen. Speak the word in your situations. Amen. Speak the power of God and you shall overcome. Point number seven. We should strive, labor, and exert ourselves to always speak faith-filled words. Words have the power to change our circumstances. God established it that way from the beginning. He made everything by calling. Calling things which are not as though they were. The whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation makes it very clear. We live under a word-activated system. Get that. We live under a word-activated system if you want to 
live in doom and gloom, then speak doom and gloom. But if you want to speak prosperity, good health, strong families, good jobs, nice cars, I'm not a claimant, you know, claim it and receive it kind of guy, but it's, it's important that what we think about, I've, I've activated that years ago where in business also, we're always constantly solving problems. Now keep in mind, I'm dealing with a car, and when you buy a car at an auction, there's a reason why it's at the auction. Okay? It's, there's something wrong with it. And there are times that we can just not figure out what that problem is. But I remind myself all the time, and I use James 1.4, let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So I know, and, and I declare, and I speak, that car is fixed. That car will be figured out. The people that are going to lay their hands on that car and repair it, they're going to find it and find it immediately. I speak that out over those situations. I activate that word system. Even when it comes to putting a bank deal together or, you know, would I like it done this very second? Yes, but I know. Laura and I had a deal here uh, back in February. We, uh, we sold a vehicle to an individual. The car I bought was from a franchise dealership. And uh, they called me and said the title was in. So I went and paid for the title, brought it to Laura. Laura began to look at it and said, hey, there's a problem with this title. And it was, the miles were messed up. I didn't catch it. So I took it back to the dealership. And the process to get that title corrected was you had to go through the state authority. Now, we were working with a state that was not Texas. We were working with an out-of-state. So I returned it back to the dealership. And unfortunately, the dealership was turning people over so much that this problem was too big for them. It was too big. So I'm like, okay, Lord, and listen, week after week, month after month, this thing is brewing. Now, we were blessed that our customer understood our situation. But it was still very uncomfortable to us because we wanted to keep our commitment and fulfill the law by having this vehicle transferred in the time that it needed to be transferred. So it aided us. So I went before the Lord and I said, God, I really need to figure this out. The store, you would think the store would have professionals in a big store that could figure this problem out. The Lord says, go talk to your girl at the car auction. So I went over there, and I talked to Miss Ava. I said, and I explained to her. She says, oh, don't worry about it. Bring me the title. So I went back to the store. I got the title, took it to her. It still took some time. It took like another two months. But she assured me. It's done. So I began to declare it, and I began to see that title in my hand corrected. I, I, I visualized that title in my hand, giving it to Laura to go fulfill our obligation with the customer that we had. So seeing it, speaking it, receiving it. You may have a big problem. That was kind of a big problem to us because we wanted to meet our requirements. But we are in a word-activated system. And we need to declare, declare it, declare what is not as though it it were. Amen.
So, words have power. Words create. And I want to, uh, I want to close by sharing this analogy with you, and I kind of want you to play along with me here, would you? In the mornings when we wake up, there's a canvas leaning up against the side of our bed. This canvas is a blank canvas. Every time we say a word, as we get up, we go, we praise you, Lord. Thank you for today, Father God, for this is the day that you have made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. For we are more than conquerors, and we are going to go forth, and we are going to fulfill the will that you have destined us to do today. Well, as we say those words, it's like as though we're painting on this canvas. We're painting these words on this canvas. And this canvas is with us throughout the day. And as we speak throughout the day, it's being constantly painted on. End of the day. Time for bed. This canvas is complete. We take it and hang it on the wall next to the day before and the day after. I mean the day after and the day after. after. And as we look at that canvas and its painting, we're going to title it. We're going to put a title on our painting. Does that painting represent faith-filled, spirit-filled words? Or is it going to show curses, destruction, negative attitude? What is our painting going to really say? And I can't help but think that there will be a time and day that we stand before Jesus and we'll be held accountable for every idle word. Is it going to be a painting that comes off the wall that we will look at? I don't know. But it's important that we create our life according to God's word, God's will, and God's love. So this challenge, I challenge each and every one of you today to create the speech that holds truth and that it has an influence not only on yourself, but in others. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for this wonderful word and this wonderful teaching about the power of words and the understanding and the knowledge and revelation of keeping a vow and a promise before you. Father God, give us great wisdom and strength going into next week. And we want you to know that we love you and we honor you and we want to fulfill the will you have for us. So Father, as I extend my hand, I pray the blessing. I pray that you will bless our people and keep them. I pray that you'll make your face to shine upon them and be gracious to them. I pray that you will lift up your countenance and give them peace. May righteousness and peace and joy of the Holy Spirit, the very kingdom of God, consume us. And that we are like a tree planted by the streams of living water. That we produce fruit in every season. And wherever we go and whatever we may touch shall be blessed. I pray this now and ask it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen Amen. and amen.